Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're concluding our series today, The Great Men and Women of Faith. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, as Dr. Newfeld presents a message to us entitled, Mary and the Glory of God. You might wonder why I've chosen a five great men and women of the Bible to make Mary, the mother of Jesus, one of them. After all, you might argue there's really not that much that's said about her in the Bible. I mean, furthermore, it's not Christmas, and as most of us know, the time to talk about Mary is Christmas, where she is safely in the background, overshadowed by her son. I mean, after all, the shepherds and magi surely didn't come to see her or her husband, for that matter. And furthermore, as one digs into the gospel accounts after the birth of Jesus, Mary all but disappears, or does she? And before I answer that question, another one rises. Since so little seems to be said about her, what lessons of faith can be learned from her? Well, hang on, because I think there's much we can learn from this remarkable woman, a woman the Bible calls the most favored of all women. You know, some time ago, I remember a pastor whom I know preach a sermon at Christmas about Mary. He taught that Mary had gotten pregnant as the result of a sexual liaison with a Roman soldier while she was engaged to Joseph. The story of the virgin birth, he said, was concocted to somehow help Mary cope and survive in a sexually repressive and condemning culture. But the pastor went on to say, yet the story is wonderful and the message has hope, especially for single moms and those who are condemned by the self-righteous in every society. Wow, that's curious, isn't it? Well, it's not the first time that I've heard such a story, and this, in fact, is the Mary of liberal Protestantism. This picture portrays Mary as a promiscuous liar, someone who will tell the most fascinating and outrageous and far-fetched story to cover up her real character and conduct, and that's pretty extreme. And for that matter, what a demeaning and damning portrait of a woman the Bible calls a favored woman of God. On the other side is the Mary that arose in the Middle Ages. She's sinless, she's a perpetual virgin, she's the queen of heaven, and is to be prayed to alongside of Christ, and she's constantly appearing in the world today and is seen in places like Lourdes and Fatima, and is the author of countless miracles, and is the object of veneration and worship. See, I find myself stunned by such radically different portrayals of Mary. Leaves one wondering where the truth is. And who is this woman, this mother of baby Jesus? And I suggest that the real story is the most fascinating one of all. Well, let's read her story. Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is also called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now you will find in the Magnificat, or Mary's song recorded in Luke 1, that Mary calls herself one of humble estate. And that statement is not a pretense about humility. It's a statement of fact. Mary, as our text says, was from Nazareth. Nazareth is in the area of the territory of the Jewish tribe of Zebulun, which is near the northern end of the ancient boundaries of Israel. By the time of Jesus, it was situated along the ancient trade route in which Roman soldiers regularly passed through along with countless merchants and salespeople. It was simply a small stopping off place and became a place where Jews and Gentiles lived together. Its population would have been relatively small. It was a place of no significance. The Old Testament never mentions it. The Jewish Talmud never mentions it. The great ancient Jewish historian by the name of Josephus never mentions it. When Jesus began his public ministry, one question that was commonly asked was, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Suggesting that everybody in that day had a negative view of Nazareth. In truth, from what I can tell, Nazareth was the place of cheap housing prices, poor education, and low salaries. And it's in this context that we're introduced to Joseph. He's a carpenter. Secondly, and here we have to fast forward to the time of Jesus' circumcision, we're told that the offering that they gave was an offering that the book of Leviticus allowed for the poor to give. Since marriages were arranged affairs in those days, and since it's assumed that one married within one's economic circles, I mean, I get this picture of Mary. She's from a poor working family in a part of the country that had a very bad reputation. And most of the young women in those areas were like wildflowers. That is, they bloomed early and they faded quickly. And that would be a statement about her beauty. So when she calls herself a woman of humble estate, she's in fact not exaggerating. So what else do we know about her? Well, we know that she was a sinner in need of salvation. Now, I know that tends to get very controversial, especially among those who speak about the Immaculate Conception. You know, in the Middle Ages, as the myths about Mary began to grow and expand, theologians began to postulate that the womb of the one who gave birth to the pure, undefiled Son of God, well, that womb itself had to be pure and undefiled, so she had to be a sinless one, for how else could Jesus be born? So think about Mary, not as sinless, but as a sinner. Well, let's go back to Mary's song, The Magnificat. I'm reading Luke 1, 46 to 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So just so we're clear, Jesus, who is in fact portrayed in the Bible as being without sin, never calls God his Savior, for Jesus doesn't need a Savior. He, in fact, alone can play the role of Savior. But Mary calls God her Savior, meaning that she needs a Savior, meaning that she is a sinner. But we also know that she's a woman favored by God, and that's how the angel greeted her, greeted the one favored by God. Now, those of you who come from a Roman Catholic background will notice that this greeting has been translated by some as, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, the Greek verb here, which can be translated as grace or favor or even kindness, is in fact a passive verb. That means that this text teaches that Mary has received grace, not that Mary hands it out. 
She at some time in her life knew the reality of sins forgiven and had experienced grace. Grace had flooded into her young life. Now, verse 30 also tells us that she's found favor with God. So in other words, Mary has been specially chosen by God to receive from him a gift of overwhelming kindness. Now, we're going to come back to that because you might wonder if being the mother of Jesus is, in fact, an act of kindness at all. But again, I'm going to come back to that. But for our purposes, we should notice that grace or kindness, whenever that's spoken of in the Bible, is always given to people apart from anything that they do. In other words, God chooses the objects of his kindness apart from merit. So Mary's a sinner whom God has chosen to bless. And here's the last thing that we know about who Mary was. She was a woman fully yielded to God. According to verse 38, it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, I find this no insignificant statement. Let me try to explain that. In Matthew's account, Mary's pregnancy was especially troubling to Joseph. He's a righteous man, and he considers the pregnancy of his fiancée especially troubling. You see, in those days, engagement was a formal affair. It lasted for, let's say, a year, and it demanded sexual abstinence, and it could only be broken by a formal divorce given for specific grounds found in the Old Testament law. And so Joseph wants to divorce her privately, and why is that? Because a pregnant, engaged woman was always a disgrace. And the angel comes to Mary and announces her miraculous pregnancy. She, being a virgin, would be impregnated by a miraculous action of the Holy Spirit. And Mary's not ignorant. This pregnancy would look to all the world like a disgrace. And she doesn't ask the angel, will Joseph understand? Will my relative understand? Will the town that I live in understand? She simply yields. And that, at least to me, makes her remarkable. Indeed, her entire life is remarkable. Have you registered for the Back to the Bible Canada's Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise in February 2020? Sail for nine days around the Caribbean, enjoying all that the incredible Royal Caribbean ship has to offer in all the ports of call. Do all this while being inspired and refreshed by the Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld. Laugh and be encouraged from Laugh Again's Phil Calloway. And enjoy wonderful music and worship with guests Shane and Angela Weeb. So join us to celebrate this great occasion. Bring friends, bring family, and make sure to register soon to avoid your disappointment. For more information or to register, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebibletours.ca. And remember that all of our ministry vacation events or tours are funded exclusively by the participants and no ministry resources are used for this purpose. I don't know how many of us, and it happens so often, that we can't see the favor of God and can only see the inconvenience of God. We have our own life imagined and idealized and already planned out, but that was not Mary. When Mary left Nazareth for Bethlehem, the fact is she would not return to her home for about five years. Let me explain. 
We read after Jesus was born that the shepherds had come and gone, and, and Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to have the child circumcised. And there was an old man in the temple by the name of Simeon who, who took the child in his arms and recognized what the shepherds did, that this was the Messiah. And I want to concentrate on what he said to Mary. Luke 2, verses 34 to 35 says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In other words, this child will cause great upheaval, and Mary, don't think for a moment that you're going to escape that. And that upheaval would happen quickly. Herod the Great would seek to kill the child, and shortly after that, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, where for a period of time they lived as refugees in the Jewish community there. And, and from any perspective, Mary's life was upset and it was made hard. So Jesus' birth gave her more than wonder, but it promised her a life far from normal and filled with hardship. Let me move forward to one event when Jesus was 12. And you'll remember that Jesus is in the temple and, and Mary and Joseph in a panic are looking for him. And when they find him, they demand why he would treat them in this manner. So I'm reading Luke 2, 49 to 51. And he said to them, why are you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I see in Mary a depth of character that is really quite telling. The strange childhood of Jesus, the, the experiences she had with him, those 30 years when she watched him grow and become a man, I mean, these experiences became for her, each one, like a precious treasure that had simply been given like a waterfall of grace into her life. It is in the depth of her heart that Mary not only remembered, but held those memories. The, the memories of a mother and a son were hers alone. And each memory would grow to become a rich source from which her life was shaped. But what did a life with Jesus teach Mary? See, I'm going to say that those three years of Jesus' ministry would have been almost gut-wrenching and unspeakably difficult for Mary. As we encounter Mary later, we find her as a widow, and according to Mark 6, she now has four other boys and a number of daughters. With a large family and being a widow and not being a woman of wealth, Mary needed to rely on her family for support. And the normal custom was that she would look to her oldest son for that, and it's here that her story becomes fascinating. We only get a few glimpses. John 2 tells us of the wedding of Cana, where his mother requested of him that he take care of a problem. The wine had run out, and here's what he says in John 2, verse 4. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, just so you understand, I never referred to my mom as woman. The fact that Jesus called her woman rather than mother must have been altogether shocking. But by all indications, that's how Jesus addressed Mary from that moment on. A second incident comes from Matthew chapter 12 when she asks to see Jesus while he's ministering. People come to him and say, your mother and brothers are here to see you. And he says, who is my mother? The one who does my will is my mother. In other words, I refuse to give my mother any more special status than I give any other follower. Mary quite shockingly understands him clearly. You, woman, must become my disciple to have any part of me. The final scene comes to us from the foot of the cross where Mary stands watching her son bleeding and dying on a cross. 
She who treasured every precious memory of him now remembers the words of Simeon, a sword will pierce your heart. And in kindness, Jesus speaks to her as he hangs dying. John 19, 26 to 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. What in fact Jesus was doing was entrusting his mother, not to himself, but to John. The final glimpse we have of Mary is found in Acts 1, when she is gathered in the upper room with the 120 on the day of Pentecost. She's one of the 120 followers of Jesus who will form the church. And from what follows, we never hear of her again. We hear of the apostles, but not of Mary. She does not take leadership in the church. She does not set the world on fire by giving revelations and visions and, and then go on speaking tours and appearing at various highly publicized events. She's living in Jerusalem, no doubt one of the widows of the church that is described in Acts chapter 6 that needed to be cared for in the daily distribution of food. According to reports that come to us from the early church, John the Apostle took her with him to Ephesus, where she became a part of that church, and it is there in Ephesus that she most likely died. Well, that's the real story of Mary, not a liar or a sexually permissive woman, not the queen of heaven who now receives the prayers of the faithful, but a woman who became one of the millions and millions of followers of Jesus who proclaimed him to be the Son of God and her Savior, the Savior of the world. And that begs the question, what should we think of her? Let me suggest three reasons why she is one of the most remarkable human beings who ever lived. First, she is the mother of our Lord. That's what Elizabeth, her relative, called her. In history, she has sometimes been called the mother of God, but that title gets controversial. She did not give birth to God in that she gives life to God, but she did give birth to God entering into the world. Her role in history is of a status that no one in all history can rival. Second, she is the most blessed woman in history. Listen to these words of Elizabeth, and I'm reading Luke 1, 42 to 43. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? But why would we say that about a woman who is relegated by Jesus to be no more than one of his disciples? A woman whose life has been turned upside down, her marriage plans completely shaken up by her pregnancy, her reputation spoiled, her early married life a refugee, her later life, a widow with a large family, assigned to the role of one of the women who were called to serve Christ. Why is she the most blessed of women? Well, to answer that, we have to go back that night when Mary, having given birth to the Christ, is visited by the shepherds with their wild stories of angels. And with every encounter and every miracle, Mary ponders and remembers and strives to understand and treats every adventure as treasure as having received the greatest gift imaginable, the gift of experiencing the hand of God. She's not demanding. She doesn't push her way forward. She doesn't assume a great role, but she is allowed the front row seat in God's plan for the entire world. And this, she says, is more pleasure than any person ever in all of creation has experienced. This is the blessed life. This is the favor of God. This is what grace feels like. And it's all she ever wanted. And that, I think, is why Mary is one of the greatest human beings who has ever lived.
Instead of asking how she might make her mark, she reveled as God invited her to the front of the class and watched as God made his mark. She was content that the greatest thing that any human being could see is the glory of God. And she saw more glory than anyone else. Not the demoniac that Jesus delivered, or Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, nor the disciples that Jesus taught and gave the Great Commission. None of these saw more glory than this woman who was called upon to nurture the Son of the living God. Mary, more than any person in all history, teaches us that the greatest question in life is not how God might use us, but the greatest question is the one that Moses asked on the sacred mountain, Lord, I would see your glory. But Moses did not see what Mary saw, for the grace that was given to her leaves even the great Moses humbled in her wake. Mary, the mother of our Lord, Mary, the one who sang to our Savior and rocked the God of glory to sleep in her lap. Mary, the woman who still teaches us that if we are invited to bask in the glory of God, we have been invited to the highest privilege that can be afforded of any human being. John, I'm going to throw a random question at you, one that you're probably not prepared for because it comes out of the conversation we had when you were preparing this message about Mary. And you know, other than all the other great men and women that you've described, this is the one that seemed to catch you emotionally. Why was that? Yeah, Ben, I, I think the, the reason for that, and, and yeah, I did talk to you about this. I, I, was, I was practicing this message and getting ready for it, and I found myself... Um, with tears welling up in my eyes, and I and I said, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to weep on, on the radio because there is something about imagining her uh, with this very precious role of nurturing and caring for the Son of God, and then being called upon to humble herself before Him because He is the Son of God, and she does that and counts it all joy. I mean, I said to the Lord, I mean, how often have I been humbled in various ways and not called it all joy? I see in Mary something that I say to the Lord, oh, I just wish I could see in myself more. God, produce that in me. So, you know, in my eyes, Mary is is a hero of my faith. Uh, She is indeed the most favored of all women. And I think that as evangelical Protestants, we should talk about her more and we should honor her a great deal more. Thanks so much, John, for today's message in this great series. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Tom said, what Dr. John says makes so much sense and he's opened my understanding of the Bible. Thanks, Tom. Your words of encouragement mean more to us than you might know. This October, we're giving thanks to our Savior for his provision and blessing in the lives of our listeners. There's so much being accomplished through Dr. John Newfeld and the Back to the Bible Canada team. And recently, a group of ministry partners graciously provided a cumulative ministry pledge gift of $50,000. Now listen, this gift has allowed us to participate in a donation match where every dollar you give this month will be matched up to $50,000, allowing us to continue to change lives through the truth of God's Word. So to match your donation today, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us at backtothebible.ca.